You're listening to America's Web Radio. And now time for the Classic Car Show with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber. Good morning, uh, Atlanta, Georgia, I guess. But good morning, Jim Weber. You're you're here around the round table, and uh, you're listening to the Classic Car Show, folks, and we appreciate you listening. And this is going to be a very special show, Jim. It uh, is, it is. We've got, we've got John Bell on from the Auburn, Duesenberg. Auburn Duesenberg. Ricard, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, he's got a long name, and I, at my age, it's hard to remember my own name. But anyway, we've got his website up on, it's a tough, tough website. It's uh, automobilemuseum.org. We got that streaming so people can go to it. Beautiful. Um, we didn't We didn't install the, the the glare shield, so I took the camera off of you and put it onto, uh, onto his website. You're I, the you know. best, and of course the bro cream kids on the road somewhere. We don't know where he is, uh, you know, which Motel 6 he's in, but I'm sure he's... Well, he's, he's hauling a trailer with something in the back of it. Well, we won't go into that. But anyway. <laughs> uh, Mr. John, you're, you're on the line with us. We certainly appreciate you joining us, uh, getting up early to do this. Well, how, uh, how is up there? to be with you. Yeah, and uh, if I could say, this is John Bill from the Auburn Court Duesenberg Automobile Museum, which is located in Auburn, Indiana. And I imagine you're having a little weather up there, aren't you? Uh, we have had some weather, just like so many other places in the Upper Midwest. Uh, mixture of ice and snow the past week or so, but uh, that's kind of typical here. Well, and, and and particularly it happens in the wintertime. Yes. That, that's yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, you know what's amazing, and, and I wanted to go into this uh, a, a little bit, is the fact that even though you have some tough winters, uh, you all are open 20, uh, 365 days, basically, correct? Almost. Uh, we are open year-round daily. Uh, the only days we are closed are on Thanksgiving Day, Christmas Day, and New Year's Day. But other than that, uh, we have visitors year-round. You know, I, and I can't, uh, I can't fault some of the museums, particularly in, in I guess, the, the rougher of areas. But, you know, I, I appreciate the fact that, that you stay open, you know, basically 360, all year. Oh. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I think that's a very important fact. And people can uh, can make a reservation or they can check with you or they can check the website. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I, it's hard off and on to plan around, well, are they going to open May the 30th? Are they opening May the 15th? Or, right, you know, or right. am I going to? We literally uh, missed one museum by a week. And, uh, uh, you know, and that that's uh-huh. disappointing. Yeah. But anyway, I'm going to turn it over to to uh, Jim, and I'm going to run in my office and and check on that email we were talking about. And, okay. Uh, so here's Jim Weber. Okay. Thanks, John. Um, I'm trying to remember, and it's probably I'm going to let you give me the history the day your museum was open because I'm older than dirt, 
and I was there. That I that is true. I will <laughs> verify. You know, if David tells you I started with Durier in 1894, it's true. <laughs> I was their first field operations guy. Oh. Uh, uh, when did the museum first open? We opened up uh, in the uh, summer of 1974, and we had our grand opening over uh, that Labor Day weekend, of course, which coincides with the Auburn Court Duesenberg Festival. Right, right, which takes over the whole town. And that oh, is abs- by all, yes, it does, yeah, by all means. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. And at that time, were you privately funded, or were you a 501c3, or how did you folks start? We are a 501c3, and uh, the building that houses the museum is the uh, former factory headquarters of the Auburn Automobile Company. Right. Uh, their official title of the museum or of the building was the Administration and Engineering Building, but it's uh, it was originally opened up in the fall of 1930, and it is just a gorgeous Art Deco structure in in every regard. Yeah, I would say. Uh how do I put it? It's indescribable. And uh, it, you walk in, and I, I'm only going to relate one thing, and then I'll let you go back and kind of take us through everything. But one time, and it's got to be in the 90s when I was there, because every time I go that way, I have to pull off and stop. Well, we're glad you do. Well, thank you. Uh, and the Colliers. Uh, Collier Brothers, which were very involved in automobile racing, and uh-huh. Miles Collier now has the Rev Institute down in Naples, but they had a black early 851 Speedster in there in the showroom, uh-huh. and that car I will never forget, and then of course your Auburn Cabin Speedster, which I, uh-huh. is, is a replica uh-huh. But how do you, I right. mean, it's, it's uh, to me, it's a real one. Uh, th- those two cars, uh, I, unless you get into some thing like in the Mullen collection with the Art Deco French cars, uh, just those those two Auburns absolutely wound me up. Mm-hmm. So well, those are two of my favorite cars too, Jim. And uh, a small correction on the on. Collier's car that is a right. thirty-two, uh, twelve, one sixty. Oh, okay. Uh, speedster. All right, thank you. And, and we have uh, proudly displayed that for years, and it is it is now in a brand new gallery that we opened up just uh, several months ago, called Racers and Record Setters. Wonderful. And it just looks stunning in that new gallery. Do you have Ab Jenkins Duesenberg in there too? Uh, no, we do not. Um, but uh, that would be a wonderful addition. Yeah. <laughs> well, I apologize because the last time I saw the Collier's car was about 1994, and that's got to be 20 years ago. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a um, gorgeous car, and it's uh, set up for racing just like the, the Collier's had it right. uh, back in the 30s. Right. Um. That is a 12-cylinder car, whereas the 851 was an 8-cylinder car, if I remember correctly. You are correct. Okay. Now, let's do this. I kind of want you to walk me in the front door 
and take me through and tell me about the design offices upstairs where you still have the boards and the original uh, blueprints and stuff, and, and just kind of give us a little walk through the museum. And then, and then you mentioned this gallery on racing cars now. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to turn the mic over to you for a few minutes, if you would, please. Okay. Well, well thank you, Jim. Uh, we are located on uh, South Wayne Street in Auburn, Indiana, which is just south of the historic downtown district. And when you would come to the museum... Uh, you would notice that it's a, a three-level structure uh, of brick. And when, on first entering the museum, you come into the admissions area and the museum store. Uh, uh, from the if I can interrupt there uh, just for yeah. one second, what kind of things do you carry in your store? Anything, uh, I know T-shirts and caps and all this, but do you have anything that's really uh, unique to the store? Oh, I, I would like to think we do. Um, one thing, if I kind of get off on a little bit of a tangent here, when I started at the museum some 14 years ago, uh, I noticed that people would ask for books on Auburn's Cords or Duesenberg's, and, and at that particular time, there were none available. So uh, we have this in archives, and as you know, uh, one of my functions there is the archivist of the museum. And we had this wonderful archive collection of factory photographs, uh, many of which had never been published before. So we got together with Iconographics, who has a photo archive series of books. And over the years, we published uh, four books. And these are available in the museum store. Uh, although there are other outlets for them as well. But one book is on Auburn automobiles, the next on Cords, then one on Duesenberg's, and then finally the last one that we did is titled Auburn Cord Duesenberg Racers and Record Setters. And uh, it's uh, been just a wonderful thing to be able to uh, participate in that project and see them being sold in our museum store, and that is a, a unique item there. Well, we ought to mention at this point, too, that you are the author of what, how many books? Three? Uh, four. Four, okay. Mm-hmm, yes. And uh, we'll go ahead and just you know put a little plug in. How are, the, are those only available in your store there, or can people get them on Amazon? Or uh, They are available at, at other sources as well, yes, online for one. Mm-hmm. And for a nominal yeah. fee, you'll uh, sign them? I'm sorry? <laughs> for, for a nominal fee, you'll sign one if ordered? Oh, yeah. Well, I, uh, I sign a lot of them there. In fact, uh, usually I'll uh, make sure that there's several signed copies right out uh, there on the shelf for our visitors. Now, do we get an 8 by 10 glossy of you as well? or? Oh, gee. Uh, yeah, we can make uh, <laughs> photographs available, too. In fact, any photograph that we have in our collection, uh, we will reproduce and put up for sale at whatever size the customer wants. Beautiful. Beautiful. John, uh, John, by the way, we'll let you, and I didn't mean to interrupt, we'll let you go ahead with the tour. But I do want to remind you, in about uh, two minutes, we'll be taking a break. So um, okay. just sort of keep that in mind as you're... As right. you're as you're uh, pushing uh, Jim with his walker through the uh, through the museum. <laughs> okay. Go ahead, John. Well, uh, the first 
room that you would enter after uh, the admissions area would be uh, what was formerly the company showroom. And this is an absolutely gorgeous Art Deco showroom that runs the length of the building, has a, the original beautiful Art Deco style terrazzo floor, along with uh, many of the original chandeliers. This room was put together um, and specified by E.L. Cord, who at that time owned the company. 1930 was uh, close to the year that was the zenith of the success of Auburn Automobile Company when Cord was in charge. So he wa- and he also owned many other companies at that time. So he wanted a showroom to showcase all the products of his industrial empire. So as when a visitor would walk in there, they would see not only Auburn's, Cords, and Duesenberg automobiles, but they would see uh, axles, marine engines, uh, Stinson aircraft. They had uh, they provided engines for Dodge boats, so they had a Dodge boat in the, the showroom at one time. It was just uh, fascinating and uh, a beautiful entrance into the museum. Right now, at this point in time, we use the uh, showroom to showcase Auburn's, Cords, and Duesenberg's exclusively that were built uh, during the time of E.L. Cord. Okay. Uh, The next gallery after that that we would enter into would be on the, this is also on the first floor, the Gallery of Special Interest Autos. And uh, I might mention to your to the listeners that the Auburn Corduzenberg Museum, even though those are the three marks that we feature, uh, has many, many other cars on exhibit as well. And uh, we, in the Special Interest Gallery, uh, we show uh, some of these cars. Uh, we have a wonderful display of European sports cars in there right now, uh, electric cars. And, wow. and so forth. Okay. Uh, John, I'm going to have to interrupt you. We're up against a hard break. We'll be mm-hmm. back with John Bill from the Auburn, well, Auburn Cards and Duesenberg, Duesenberg Automobile Museum right after this. We'll be right back with you, John. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about antique car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. This is Michael Gannot with the Middle East Research Center Limited, bringing you insight to Israel, the truth about the greatness of the Jewish state and its struggle for sovereignty and security every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. 
You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And we're back on the Classic Car Show. Uh, featuring today is the Auburn Chords and Dusenberg Museum in Auburn, Indiana. And we've got John Bill on. And Mr. Jim Weber is in the studio here in Atlanta with us. So we'll turn it back to John. John's giving us a very good tour of the museum. So back to you, John. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Dave. We are uh, going to go up to the upper level at this point in time of the museum on our little uh, uh, audio tour, I guess you'd call it. Uh, as we go up to the uh, second level, we have an art gallery there. And uh, this is uh, has some of the uh, designs of some of the famous stylists that were... Uh, that worked for the Auburn Automobile Company and for Duesenberg at one time or another. Uh, big names like Gordon Burig, Alan Lamy, uh, and so forth. And these uh, artworks of theirs are, are hanging in this area, as well as uh, some works by modern artists as well. John, let, let me uh, add one thing. Alex Tremulus was there for a while, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And uh, you f- he was, I guess, what you'd kind of call a futuristic designer, and I know he was involved in the Tucker design. But did he? Do you have anything of his work featured from when he worked there at Auburn? Uh, no, we do not. If uh, there were any works that he had done, they did not uh, survive. Okay. At least as far as the automobile company was concerned. Okay. All right. Thank you. Go ahead. Uh, we'll go up to the upper level of the museum, and as you come up uh, that staircase, you enter into the gallery of classics. And this gallery features not only uh, Auburn's Chords and Duesenberg's, but other classics that were, I guess you'd call it their competition at the time. Uh, marks like Cadillac and uh, Stutz, Lincoln and so forth. Uh, and this is a very fascinating gallery. We uh, feature cars that uh, uh, during the multi-cylinder race where we uh, have a lot of V12 cars on exhibit there. Um, also uh, at that level is the entrance into the Gordon Burig uh, <clears throat> gallery of uh, design. And in that particular gallery, uh, we feature not only Gordon Burig, but some of the people that worked with him, uh, like Paul Lorenzen, one of the artists that uh, did many of the designs and uh, interpreted some of the ideas that Gordon had. And you'll see uh, all kinds of different uh, generations and developments of design ideas there, such as the... Uh, Court 810812, from the very first rough designs by Gordon Beery all the way up to the finished product uh, that was uh, constructed and sold, of course, in 1936 and 37. And, and those cars were actually built right there on site, too, correct? They're, they, the first 100 cords were hand built, and they were built here in the town of Auburn, uh, partially in the building that houses today the museum, 
And also, some of the work was done in a building right behind our museum, uh, which was at that time a service depot and a warehouse. John, I got to. Yes. Uh, I've got to ask uh, out of the the first hundred, I believe you said, Mm -hmm. in your opinion, and and being a historian and so forth, um, how close were they to being exact copies of each other or or were there details you know this and that i mean i i i can't fathom any i i've grown up basically in the robotic age more or less and and you know how much difference mm-hmm. were there well they as i said they were hand built so there are uh, small visual differences between some of these cars um, and listeners might wonder, well, why did they build 100 hand-built cars? Well, if I could explain that, it might make a little more sense why these were built in, in, the, in the factory administration building. They were, uh, at that time, the auto shows were always in January. And when they were designing and gearing up for production of the Cord 810 in 19, to be a 1936 model, uh, they figured they would have their cars ready for the auto shows in January of 1936. And one of the rules of the auto shows at that time was a, a manufacturer had to have 100 examples of that car built in order to display it at the show. And everything was going along fine. And then President Roosevelt, noting that the economy always jumped a little bit when new cars were introduced and wanting to kind of jumpstart the economy in 1935, he asked the automakers if they could move up the auto show to the 1st of November instead of January. Well, here's Little Auburn Automobile Company uh, caught with not having the cars produced and needing them by November 1st, two months early. So they hastily uh, built as many as they could. It's still uh, a matter of conjecture whether they actually produced the 100 even. Uh, but they they made a mighty effort and had enough completed to satisfy them so that they could show them at the New York Auto Show and at the Chicago Auto Show. And these were the hand-built cars that were built in Auburn. The regular production Auburn, or Cords, I'm sorry. The regular production cords were built in their more modern plant in Connorsville, Indiana. Okay, that, that's what I was wondering. I'm glad you brought that up. How close is Connorsville to Auburn? Connorsville is about 150 miles straight south of Auburn. Okay. And the story on Connorsville, <clears throat> at one time they were... Uh, there were several cars built in Connorsville, the Lexington, the McFarland, and they had uh, another plant called Anstead Industries that provided parts to uh, car manufacturers. And these manufacturers were all struggling in the, in the 20s, about to go bankrupt. Well, this was about the same time that E.L. Cord had taken over the Auburn Automobile Company up in northern Indiana and... Auburn, and he wanted to expand the plant and modernize it 
but the uh, city fathers at that time had decided that, uh, no, they didn't want any more expansion. They wanted things left the way they were. So you just don't tell E.L. Cord no. He's going to do something. So what he did was bought up all these uh, defunct plants in Connersville and poured millions of dollars into them, making them state-of-the-art assembly uh, plants for both Auburn's and Cord's. So that's how Connersville got into the picture. Well, now, uh, let me add, and this, I'm, I'm sorry, but obviously doesn't have anything to do with the museum per se, but when World War II broke out, now did the plants roll over like many other, like GM and, and some of the other large plants into manufacturing uh, war equipment? Uh, in Auburn, Indiana, the uh, assembly plants that were here, uh, as far as I know, did not uh, produce any war material. Uh, the plants were quite antiquated at that time, the buildings were, and th- they did not use them. But Connersville was another story. That, that was still a relatively uh, new facility, and during the war they built uh, over one-half of a million Jeep bodies and provided them to both Ford and Willys. Wow. Yeah, well, and let's was, get back. That to was th- done under the uh, name of Central Manufacturing, which was the name of the plant at the time. Well, okay, all right. Let's uh, let's get back. To, I didn't mean to take you away from the museum, but uh, I, I think this this is why museums are so important. It's, yes. it's the history, even yes. if it if it's not directly related to the museum, it's it's directly related to the automobile industry that's made America. Yeah. Absolutely, and, and it's. In every facet, there's a story to tell. It seems. Yes. So uh, we're we're I I think we're on the third floor now. Yeah, we're yeah. on the third floor. We uh, talked a little bit about the gallery of classics. We talked about the Gordon Burig Gallery of Design. We have another gallery that features other cars built in the town of Auburn that were not associated with the Auburn Automobile Company. And, and this would be such automobiles as the McIntyre, the Zimmerman, the Kiblinger. Uh, at one time, the uh, town of Auburn was home to 10 different automobile companies. So uh, most of these other companies all uh, were out of business uh, by the time uh, World War One started. So these would have been your early high-wheeler type of automobiles, but we have a gallery uh, devoted to those, and one of the most interesting cars in there is an Imp, uh, which is a, a motorcycle-type automobile called a cycle car. Uh, leaving the uh, gallery of uh, Auburn automobiles, uh, our next stop would be uh, the Raysbeck Gallery of technology and this gallery is currently under construction which will it will open up again in may but uh, this features all the uh, technical innovations that were brought forth by auburn cord and duesenberg and and there were very many of those and maybe a little later in our broadcast here i could uh touch back on that uh the next gallery we're going to go into is the uh, gallery of auburn automobiles from 1903 to 1924 uh these would have been the automobiles built by the company before el cord 
came along and, and took over its operation. Also uh, along that uh, same gallery is the design galleries where the actual design of these automobiles took place. Uh, that, that's uh, where you have the big CAD system. Uh, <laughs> that's where we have the play models. Um, and uh, you, you can look at a device called a styling bridge, which was invented by uh, Gordon Burig and his team of clay modelers uh, back in the mid-30s when they were styling the cord. A very interesting device. Uh, and that's used to, you know, duplicate uh, the automobile as closely as you possibly can. Uh, we go next into the Cars of Indiana gallery. But before we, have, we get uh, into that gallery, John, I yeah. need to stop you, and we need to take our uh, half-hour break. Uh, okay. We'll be back with John Bill and his tour of the museum right after this. In 2009, the membership organization Docs for Patient Care was founded. People all around the country wanted to participate in the efforts of this group, and they wanted to join, but they were unable to do so unless they were physicians. It's for this reason that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation was created. Now, everyone can join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients, dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. While you're at your computer, please go to www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org and make a tax-deductible donation and join the fight along with us. Thank you. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about antique car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And you're back on the Classic Car Show. I do want to make one little announcement. I want to thank some people that, and I, this has all of a sudden taken off, and I, <laughs> all I can do is say thank you. All of these shows that we do, both in the Classic Car Show and the 35, 36, however many it is, other shows that we do during the week, we archive on our website where you can go back and listen to them anytime you want. And or, uh, this is something that's been happening uh, just recently and we certainly appreciate it, is people are contacting us or they're going to our shop uh, area picking different programs that they like, uh, particularly like, and buying copies of them, edited copies. The, the um, uh, commercials are taken out and only our names left in. But we want to thank everybody that's been doing that, and we appreciate the growing following and the growing audience that uh, all of a sudden has just really taken off. And we, after 10 years, I guess it should take off. But anyway, let's get back to John Bill and... Um, from Auburn, Indiana, talking about 
I'm going to call it his museum. Okay. Isn't that fair? <laughs> sure. Back to you, back to you John. Okay, John. <laughs> well, uh, thank you. Um, I'd, I'd like to pick up uh, on our tour of the museum. We have a couple of galleries left here. Um, we touched briefly on the Cars of Indiana gallery. Um, I'll bet that m- many of our listeners don't realize that at one time, Indiana was the second largest manufacturer of automobiles in the United States, second, of course, only to Michigan. And there were many great companies uh, in, in, in the state of Indiana. Um, in fact, uh, quantity-wise, there was over 150 automobile manufacturers at one time or another. Of course, many of these were smaller ones that uh, would be considered quite minor. But uh, there's there were some pretty important ones as well. And we feature these in the uh, Cars of Indiana gallery. We have a special Studebaker uh, display uh, showing three uh, wonderful examples of Studebaker automobiles. Um, we have... Uh, Frank Lloyd Wright's Crosley in there, which was built in the state of Indiana. Uh, we feature a prototype futuristic international harvester scout autom- <laughs> automobile, or I guess you'd call it an SUV today, uh, is on exhibit in there, and uh, along with many other cars. And I might also mention at this point, uh, the museum features about 120 cars altogether. Wow. And, um, and of these 120 cars, the museum owns about two-thirds of them. They come to us generally by way of donation, and uh, the other third are on uh, loan to the museum by uh, gracious benefactors that allow us to exhibit their uh, marvelous automobiles. Uh, the final gallery that we're going to walk into is the gallery of racers and record setters and this is uh one that's kind of near and dear to my heart because a few years ago we in archives did a book entitled uh, auburn Cordusenberg racers and record setters and uh, we thought you know that is such a big important part of this whole story we're going to donate a whole or devote a whole gallery to this and um it features uh, Indianapolis 500 cars, uh, the Collier uh, V12 Speedster that we mentioned before. Uh, we have an example of a 1910 Auburn that won uh, Auburn's very first race back in Oklahoma City in 1910, and several other cars as well. It also features the uh, gold medal that uh, Jimmy Murphy won in the 1921 Grand Prix uh, in Le Mans, France. So it's a very interesting gallery, and both Auburn's, Gord's, and Duesenberg's uh, racing record setting is a, a very important part of their story. And, and I might um, add, Jimmy Murphy was driving a Duesenberg at Le Mans, wasn't he, when he won that That's race? That's correct. Yeah. This was in 1921. Right. And he drove a, a eight-cylinder eight Duesenberg uh, race car. Mm-hmm. And that was, I might also add, what a great achievement this was 
Yes. This was the only time ever that an American driver driving a car built totally in America won a Grand Prix race. The feat has never been duplicated. Now, we've had Americans win at Le Mans before, since then, but Le Mans is not now a Grand Prix race. It's a 24-hour event. But uh, we're, we're really proud of that. Yes. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> also in that gallery, some people will say, how do you get these cars up to the third floor? Well, there is a large elevator that opens into this gallery, uh, and when it goes down to the lower level, it opens up either into the inside of the museum or to the outdoors. And this is the original elevator that was put in when the building was built, and we still use it to this day in its original condition. That's incredible. John, let me ask you, uh, you, you sort of segue or open yourself up to this question. Out of your um, hundred or so automobiles that you have on display, how many uh, are functional? Uh, do you take them out, or do you take any of them out um, off location to, to go on any kind of tours? And the other thing uh, we haven't addressed at all is, uh, do you all, since you own that many cars, or the museum does, um, do you all have your own restoration at all? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let's, let's start out with that uh, last part first. Uh, about restoration uh, we do not do our own restoration on these cars but we do uh, service and repair on them and about a year ago we opened up uh, across our from across the museum uh, employee parking lot we constructed a new building called the uh, collection conservation center and this is a nice state-of-the-art uh, work area. I believe it has uh, five bays in it uh, that we can bring cars in uh, regularly to service them. And the first part of your question, you know, how many are running, how many uh, are static displays? Well, a lot of the very early cars, let's say those built before World War I, uh, we don't generally keep those in running condition. They are... Uh, pickled, so to speak, for long-term storage. Jim can relate and, to that term. <laughs> uh, uh, well, I didn't mean that kind of pickling. Oh. Uh, uh, I, it's a term that we use around here in the Midwest uh, for long-term storage of uh, an automobile. Uh, in other words, the cylinders are fogged and everything, but of course they uh, are drained of <clears throat> most of the fluids like gasoline and things like that. Antifreeze are, is taken out. Systems are sealed off. And uh, they're just kind of there for static display. That's not to say that they couldn't be used if they went through a little rehabilitation <laughs> process. Um, the... Uh, we do participate in a number of uh, concours events every year, and we're asked by uh, different events to provide automobiles. Uh, Alt Park in Cincinnati comes to mind, uh, the event up in St. John's, Michigan, uh, Amelia Island. We just recently had one out to Pebble Beach, I believe. Um, 
in, in other words, we uh, provide some cars for that, and those, of course, are kept in running condition. And usually that means that they'll go over to our conservation center, get checked out, make sure all the systems are thoroughly functional uh, before they uh, go out to be uh, used in, in an outdoor exhibit. Is the staff in the conservation center all volunteer, or are they employees? Uh, the conservation center is uh, is overseen by our curator, Aaron Workington, and uh, Aaron has got together a uh, staff of wonderful volunteer mechanics. They come in every Monday. We call them our pit crew, and uh, they go through a list of things that that need to be addressed on on cars on a weekly basis and we also have uh on thursday evening some uh, uh another pit crew that comes in to work on cars in because we've we've got a, usually a lot more to do than we have time that's that's neat because uh some of us still remember what a carburetor is <laughs> yeah <laughs> You know, for the Hall of Technology right now, one of my projects for the last few weeks has been uh, a display with a cutaway carburetor explaining how a carburetor works. Because uh, <laughs> we, we got to thinking, you know, hey, they haven't used carburetors on cars since the 80s. Maybe we ought to... Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and nobody knows what an updraft carburetor is anymore. Yeah, so. and that's what we're using, a, a Shebler... Updraft wow! Wow! Yes. That's holy smoke! That's going back. Uh huh. Yeah. Oh, that's well, great. Well, were used on some models of Auburn's, Cords, and Duesenbergs at right. one time or another. So, yeah. and Shebler, of course, were built here in the state of Indiana, down in Indianapolis. So, it's, right, uh, yeah. fits right in with our theme. Oh, that's 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 wonderful. Uh, I, I'm just going to go one step further here with your conservation center do you have a youth program involved at all where you have local uh, high school students that possibly come and work there and participate Mm -hmm. yes we do wonderful i mentioned our conservation center is new so once we've got that up and running and and everything then we uh started to look at uh various area vocational schools uh, that have students that would like to come in, and that's another reason why we open it up Thursday uh, in the afternoon and early evening would be to allow uh, more uh, young people to come in uh, to to share in this activity. Okay. And we also have a few uh, interns that uh, are working for us, too, that uh, uh, are in the conservation center. Great. Um, and docents, do you have docents in the museum to do tours and things? We have a wonderful volunteer staff that numbers about 100 people. Wow. And <laughs> yeah. and uh, some of those are, of course, docents that uh, work in the various galleries. We have a docent training program, that, uh, which is one of the things I'm involved in as director of education. And these People are, of course, highly interested, highly motivated uh, about the the story that our museum is able to tell, and 
if you ever visit our museum, you, all you need to do is uh, look for a lady or gentleman that has a maroon jacket or shirt on, and they are our volunteer docents. John, we're going to have to, let's stop right there, a good place to stop and take our last break. You're listening to the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio, featuring Mr. John Bill today, and he's from the Auburn Corps Dusenberg Museum in Auburn, Indiana. We'll be back right after this. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about antique car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And we're back on the Classic Car Show with Mr. John Bill, uh, doing just an absolutely fantastic job of telling us about his museum. Well, it might be his and a few other folks' uh, museum (laughs) in Auburn, Indiana. And, um, John, you don't know how much we appreciate this. And, and, you know, I, I just have... No doubt that this show is going to be uh, downloaded. The podcast will be downloaded by many, many people. Yeah. You have you have given us so much information, and uh, we're going to turn it back over, or I'm going to turn it back over to you and Jim, but but primarily you, John, and uh, talking about the museum. And I, there were a couple of areas that you wanted to uh, cover particularly, I believe. Yeah, you were t- going to talk about, uh, I believe, the racers and record setters. You wanted to touch on that, and I think you had one other area, John, the technical area. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go to the technical area. Um, the Hall of Technology, uh, which I mentioned, was uh, right now uh, being renovated again and will be opened up this May. But, uh, you know, the Auburn Automobile Company and Duesenberg, uh were small companies, um, Auburn Automobile Company, of course, built the Cords as well. So when I say Auburn Automobile Company, it includes Cord. And then we have the Duesenbergs. But altogether, uh, there were less than 200,000 of those automobiles built throughout their entire history. So that, that makes these companies pretty small. But the technology and innovation that came out of this small company had a tremendous impact. Um, 
and I'd like to talk just about a, a few of those a little bit. And these these are more technical in nature. They're, they have the beautiful styling. There's no question about that. But how about what was under the skin? Well, uh, four-wheel hydraulic brakes. Every car today uses four-wheel hydraulic brakes. That was an invention of Fred Duesenberg. He was the first to use them uh, in racing. That's how they won that 1921 Grand Prix of Le Mans was uh, a race car fitted with four-wheel hydraulic brakes. Other cars had four-wheel brakes, but they were mechanical. And one wheel or another would skid and when they were going into a turn, but uh, Fred had figured out how to do the hydraulic brakes, and uh, they could go faster into the corners uh, because they had superior braking. Um, another innovation, the X-frame. When the Cord L29 was first designed, it had a ladder-type frame, which was common at that time. But the frame was so long due to the front-wheel drive, the body would flex quite a bit, and sometimes the doors would pop open. These were on prototypes. So they designed an X to put into the frame between the cross members, or as a cross member between the frame rails, and that stiffened it up. Well. Later on, nearly every automobile manufacturer uh, used that X-frame idea on their uh, automobiles. Um, supercharging. The Duesenberg was the first passenger car in the United States uh, to feature an optional supercharger. Uh, hidden headlamps. The uh, Cord 810, 812 had uh, hidden headlamps, and an idea that uh, caught on uh, as mostly as a styling idea with the many manufacturers later on. The Duesenberg was the first car to feature a straight-eight engine, which uh, became an industry standard uh, during the 20s and 30s and on into the 40s, and some using them up in, into the 50s as well. Uh, unit body construction, uh, the Cord 8, 10, 8, 12 used uh, unit body construction, and... Uh, of course, front-wheel drive. Cords were the first uh, successful front-wheel drive car in our country. I mean, what you've said there, we all take as just, oh, that's normal today or, or was normal till they went to a, a, a unibody, but you're absolutely right. Uh, all those things are completely uh, innovative. And the other thing I, I just I wanted to, to touch on, with you, the Duesenbergs, Fred and Augie, um, mm -hmm. their Duesenberg vehicles were built in the Auburn Cord plant, correct? No. They were built in Connersville? No. Okay, all right. <laughs> Go uh, ahead. You're, it's your show. You're out. <laughs> That's three. <laughs> well, the Auburn plant, too far north. Connersville, too far south. What's in the middle? Indianapolis. Yeah. That's where the Duesenbergs were built. Okay. Um, the Duesenbergs uh, built a plant in Indianapolis in 1921. Uh, this was before they had any association with the Yale Cord. And they built a very fine automobile called the Duesenberg Model A. Uh, it used a lot of their 
racing technology built into the car, such as a single overhead cam engine. Um, it was very advanced technically, but uh, commercially it was kind of a flop. And then E.L. Cord came along and uh, bought the Duesenberg company and charged Fred Duesenberg with the uh, responsibility of creating what later became the famous Model J Duesenberg that we all right. know and love. Yes, but yes. Duesenberg built the chassis, the engines, and all the running gear was built, <coughs> excuse me, built in Indianapolis. And then all the bodies were built by any one of about 20 custom bodybuilders. So no two Duesenbergs are alike. Were there any factory-bodied Duesenbergs? Were there any what? I'm sorry? Fa- factory-bodied ones. Factory-bodied ones? Yeah. Um, in a way, there were, because there was a, a, a body constructors that were nearby okay. and some located in Indianapolis. And okay. the Duesenbergs and E.L. Cord created a uh, body company called Legrand. Yes, yeah, thank which, you. Which uh, comprised of three smaller companies that would uh, make bodies for Duesenbergs. And yes, there were some built on speculation. They mm-hmm. weren't they, that they would build these cars, put them in showrooms, and hope someone with uh, really, really, really deep pockets would come along. And purchase. All right. How many? <clears throat> with that being said, how many people personally ordered cars to their specs? Was that was that something? I would say a majority of them. Yeah. yeah. Um, there were about the uh, most commonly accepted number is 481 Duesenberg Model Js built, yeah. and uh, I would say probably 400 of those or so were uh, custom ordered. Yeah. Uh, on a side, I mean, when you when you bought one of those, you specified everything: how many pleats you wanted in the seat, what color you wanted it painted, things uh, like that. Every once in a while, I get a call in the archives department. Somebody say, oh, "I'd like to know what the factory colors on the Duesenbergs were," and well, there weren't any factory colors. It was just what what the customer wanted. Yeah. Now, was what did they paint them with? Lacquer. Was it all lacquer? Yeah. I, I didn't quite catch that. Could you I, I, I was asking, uh, and Jim answered the question. On I asked what what type of uh, paint did they use, and he said it was lacquer. Yeah. Yes. So mm-hmm. the, how many coats would they put on? Well, it depends. Uh, uh, many, many. Coats. Yeah. Uh, uh, twenty-five. Um, probably the, twenty-five. Wouldn't the, you say, John? Yeah. Mm-hmm. On the Duesenbergs, you're you're right. Yeah. They were finished in a spectacular fashion. Uh, uh, on a side note on the Duesenbergs, I had the privilege of uh, spending some time with Randy Ema, and I'm sure you... Oh, yeah. And I was in his place of business, and uh, he is an absolute gentleman and mm-hmm. spent a lot of time with me just talking about them. When I was uh, in my youth, uh, I met Homer Fitterling, over mm-hmm. in South Bend, who had eight or nine Duesenbergs at the time. Mm-hmm. So I'm running out of time here, so we're going to let you wrap it up for us, if you would, please, Great, John. Because there's one thing I want to get to okay. that we haven't talked about yet, and this is a huge news for our museum and, and hopefully for your for the listeners as well. Just yesterday, 
we took in as a donation from uh, Rita and Peter Hayden, Ann Arbor, Michigan, a Model X Duesenberg boat roadster. This is the 1927 Duesenberg Speedster, a -a one-of-a-kind show car built for the show circuit back in 1927, and it has been graciously donated to our museum. And I cannot overemphasize how significant this car is because the Auburn Speedster that came out later in the year 1927 and 28 was based on this particular automobile. John, how soon and will you have it on? Tremendous influence. John, how soon will you have it on display? Uh, we took it in yesterday. It is on display as we, well, not as we speak because the museum doesn't open up until <laughs> 10 o'clock. <laughs> it'll, be, uh, it'll be on display immediately. We, uh, of course, we're anticipating its arrival. We have all the signage uh, made for it, and wow. it's uh, ready for people to enjoy. And this car is a stunning restoration, uh, having one uh, out at Pebble Beach, having one uh, best of show at the Auburn Court Duesenberg Festival uh, in, I think, the year 2000. It's a, a stunning piece of machinery. Beautiful. Wonderful. That's another reason for me to stop by. Yeah, worth the trip. John, yes. we've uh, we've got just under a minute to go. Uh, give us your website again. Uh, your quickly your hours and uh, okay. Our great appreciation. Our website is automobilemuseum.org, O-R-G, and uh, our hours um, of operation during the week. We're open from uh, ten until seven, trying to extend our hours so everybody can enjoy the museum and on the weekend uh, the hours are from 10 until 5 open 7 days a week closed only on Thanksgiving Christmas and New Year's Day uh, admission rates uh, $12.50 for adults uh, $7.50 for uh, uh, students that uh, are with an adult and uh, children under 5 are free we also have special packages for family. If a family comes in and they want to bring everyone in, why we can give some discounts. And there's also discounts for group tours as well. Uh, and i got to ask, I what about military? Mention, go ahead. Uh, what about military? Uh, we have certain days in which military um, personnel are admitted, and I've embarrassed that I don't know which dates those are right now. Uh, I guess that's not my bailiwick, but uh, anyhow, I also want to mention that students on field trips and study trips are admitted free. We got a nice grant uh, to underwrite the admission for uh, students, and we have a a wonderful uh, education program that meets uh, our state academic standards for school groups that want to come in and visit us. John, I'm gonna, we're going to have to break it off there. We've got another show following, so thank you so very much for being on. We've got to do this again on the Classic Car Show. You've been listening to the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. John Bell has... Bill... 
not Bell, Bill has been our guest, and he's from the Auburn's Card and Dusenberg Automobile Museum in Auburn, Indiana. We'll be back next week with another museum. Thank you, John. Thanks, John. It's my pleasure. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.